Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, what can I say about the last week in property? Yet another raid on the smaller buy-to-let property investor has been dished out by the Chancellor in his awesome statement. Now we'll get to this in a little bit more detail in the Your Voice section a bit later on, but uh, in the meantime, our main topic continues the theme of portfolio development by continuing the four E's of property portfolio development model that I shared last week. Now, whilst it might be tempting to think that these two topics are, are unrelated, in fact, they're very much related and linked to one another, as we shall see a little bit later. But right away, right now, we're on with the show and property chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. If you can focus on anything else apart from writing to number 11 Downing Street, then let us briefly recap what we shared last time with our 4E model of property portfolio development. The four E's again are enter, expand, establish and exit. As we shared last time, as property investors, we move from one phase to the next as our portfolio unfolds and develops with us over time. I guess it could be tempting to say that following last week's surprise announcements, that the exit phase may come sooner for some rather than for others. And I've certainly heard of a few investors that are considering selling up or at least downscaling. But before we jump ahead and do that, let's at least take stock and consider options first, and we'll do that a little bit later, as we said. Okay, so last week we delved into the enter and the expand phases of portfolio development, and we considered some of the characteristics and focus prevalent in each stage. This week, let's have a little closer look at the remaining phases of establish and exit then, shall we? So the establish phase during this, uh, this phase, the established phase of our portfolio development, we are likely to have a portfolio that we are largely content with, or we should be at least. Whilst we may still wish to grow and continue our expansion of, uh, of the portfolio by, by some further ex- acquisition, we may be focused on what I like to call a rinse and repeat model, or if you prefer, the cookie cutter approach. We've probably worked out that uh, what our preferred strategy is and our method of progressing, and so it is a case of doing the same thing repeatedly. Instead, then, our focus may shift away from strategy selection, but into scalability, debt management, and diversification of risk, for example. Starting with scalability, we may be concerned with systems, procedures, and portfolio management generally. How do you manage a larger number of units without compromising on profitability, say? This could lead us to look into different technological systems, such as lettings applications. Or we could consider whether our approach to lettings and management is still appropriate. This might mean hiring a portfolio manager, or even taking our portfolio back in-house if we had previously outsourced with letting agents. Or it could mean a hybrid where we use a low-cost agency for tenant finding, say, and then manage the back office paperwork and first level repairs and maintenance response 
through our own full-time or part-time property manager. At this stage then there's often a gap between a portfolio sufficient in size to justify full or even part-time staff to manage it and the increased cost or disparate management of outsourced um, letting agents you know, to, to manage instead. So taking the leap to hire people to assist in the management could lead to a short-term dip in profits and for this reason many investors either stop adding to the portfolio significantly and then self-manage to retain more profit or alternatively keep adding more properties and or look to collaborate with other investors to create the required economies of scale to justify more people in the business. And it's often not surprising then to see some investors starting their own lettings agency for their own portfolio but also for to add a few more properties from other investors to make the numbers work out. This however could mean being more occupied in the property business as well. Another characteristic at this stage is often risk management in the form of diversification. This can happen naturally as resources allow us to consider investing either in a slightly different location to spread our geographic concentration risk for example. Alternatively it could lead us to consider different property investment types such as flats instead of houses, maybe the odd commercial instead of residential property, or even high yield properties to counterbalance potentially higher capital growth properties. These are just some of the examples of the type of decision that many more established investors could look to take to protect their position. It's all about weathering the storms really. In terms of mindset here, it's all about staying calm and resilient as the market shifts, maintaining a long-term balanced judgment and staying current with our knowledge to avoid becoming stale or even getting caught out. To maintain sustainability, it's all about protecting what we have already and so this often means deleveraging, balancing out the portfolio and having plenty of cash reserves around. Growth will likely be controlled and moderate, steady as she goes I guess you could say. However with, with a building cash reserve and greater experience, opportunistic acquisitions could arise to capitalise upon as well. Now what could potentially jeopardise things is a temptation to throw caution to the wind and overtrade is really a continuing the expansion phase for too long or conversely to become a sitting duck to the you know as the water level subsides subsides rather potentially leaving us exposed if we're too concentrated or narrowly focused perhaps so that's the established phase now let's just take a look at the exit phase the final phase of our 4e model is the exit phase and i'm talking about the portfolio here rather than individual properties as such for many people there is no exit, aside from our own departure from this planet. That though is still an exit and will lead to a liquidation or transfer event of the portfolio for sure. There are alternatives to this however, such as merely living off the fruits of the portfolio for example. Or you know that could, in that could involve selling off individual properties over an extended time period, it could involve living off rental income or releasing further equity through additional debt. The last one's a little bit risky as you can imagine. It could also mean handing down properties in, in the family in a controlled and planned way, selling the portfolio or potentially setting up some kind of lasting legacy wealth fund or trust for the benefit of our chosen beneficiaries or good causes. These are at least the main options. It may seem odd then that some of these options mean retaining assets and others disposing of them, 
or that some imply reduced debt levels, whilst others may lead to extended borrowing. The fact is that it will very much depend on individual circumstances and preferences as to which approach is considered the best. Ideally we would have thought this all through before we started, or quite soon after. However, I rather suspect, and in my own case this is also true, that many won't have thought about things too early, and so exit planning is often more likely to take place increasingly towards the end of the portfolio development cycle than at the beginning, at least for the majority. However, perhaps with the exception of investors with net assets below the inheritance tax threshold, threshold rather, with a will in place, it would be wise to seek advice sooner rather than later if possible. Seeking out professional advice with a specialist wealth advisor or estate planner is therefore well worth considering before getting too close to the exit phase, as it could be a little bit too late to significantly alter the landscape and direction once we're too far down that particular track. The dominant thoughts at the exit phase are likely to be legacy, philanthropy, enjoying the fruits and how best to keep the tax bill down. In terms of sustainability, we'd likely be most concerned with timing and phasing issues, asset management and wealth protection, and potentially using our privilege, privileged position for the benefit of others. So that about covers the last two phases of the property portfolio development cycle. And the phases are enter, expand, establish and exit. Now I did want to wrap up today by considering how our personal situation can shift over time and you know changes our personal circumstances change. But given the autumn statement announcements last week, I've decided to make a little bit more room in today's show to cover this off in a little bit more detail and we'll return to close that off next week if that's okay. So if you've been waiting to hear what I have <laughs> what I can what I make of all the goings on from the Chancellor, then you need wait no longer because it's all coming up next under your voice. Up next is your voice. It's all about you and your property world. Now this week's Your Voice is stimulated by a listener by the name of Paul, who contacted me with the following question. Given the Chancellor's earlier raid on buy-to-let with the mortgage interest relief changes and now the stamp duty surcharge, should I just sell up with my modest portfolio and give up property investment altogether? <laughs> well, that was Paul's original question, uh, which is pretty you know, self-evident. Um, and then through further exchange of dialogue, I also understood that he invests jointly with his wife. He's a high-rate taxpayer. Um, he's got a couple of high-value but low-yielding properties in the southeast. He's not a multimillionaire, nor is he overly greedy, nor a rogue landlord, by all accounts at least. But he has spent several decades diligently saving from his earnings, along with a modest inheritance to invest in these properties. I guess you could say he's well off, but he's not super rich, and definitely not like wealthy in a, in a you know billionaire land landscape or anywhere near that for that matter. We didn't discuss his political persuasion, but we'll leave that for a different uh, discussion. So what on earth did Glorious George do to Paul and the rest of us, in fact, this week then? Well, a 3% surcharge on stamp duty starting at properties costing over £40,000 is what? Now, in financial terms, this would mean the following for buy-to-let investors and second homeowners when compared to residential owner occupiers starting from April 2016. 
So here's a table and I'm just going to go through four different property values and the difference between the, the stamp duty that a homeowner would pay versus the stamp duty that an investor will pay from April next year. On an £80,000 property, homeowner won't pay any stamp duty. But from next year, an investor will pay £2,400 on that same property. On a £180,000 property, the homeowner will be paying £1,100 in stamp duty and the investor 6500 Now the average price of a property is round about that, so that's going to be the average roundabout difference, so over five, round about £5,500 um, increase in cost to the uh, average buy-to-let investor on the average property. But at £280,000, the figures change to 4000 for the homeowner and 12400 for the investor. And finally at £480,000, £9,000 to the homeowner and £20,400 to the investor. Ouch! <laughs> there are significant increases in cost and entry, particularly obviously as you see the, uh, the purchase price of the property increasing. However, in addition to the stamp duty surcharge for buy-to-let investors and second homeowners, there's also talk of there being an exemption for companies and similar institutions owning significant amounts of property and this is muted to be in excess of 15 properties, although this is yet to be confirmed. That doesn't sound like a fair application of tax law to me. Rich, corporate or well-established property investors will be exempt from the surcharge? Surely that can't be right, when the smaller guys are going to be picking it up. But sadly it is right, or at least it's proposed to be right at this stage. Now there was also a change in the timing of the payment of uh, capital gains tax for investors, but it would be, it, to be honest, it'd be hard to argue this not at least fair. From April next year, any capital gains tax due from investors will need to be paid within 30 days of completion. At least we'd have the cash proceeds in our hand to pay for it by then, wouldn't we? The thing is, if we had the main change in the, from the autumn statement, that's 3% stamp duty surcharge for investors, to the interest relief changes from the summer emergency bu budget back in July, then it not only paints a pretty bleak picture, but a grossly unfair one as well, I have to say. As I mentioned, larger corporations can avoid the stamp duty surcharge, and equally corporate investors can also avoid the penalties resulting in the interest relief restrictions that came out in July. By the way, that's now formally in law, in case you missed that, that bit of news. But in other words, smaller individual investors are placed at a significant disadvantage when compared to owner-occupiers and also and also larger corporate investors. If that sounds like a, a wealth redistribution from the middle classes to both the rich and the relative poor, we could be right in thinking that. To be perfectly honest with you, given the investment community's uh, relative apathy following the July budget, as evidenced by a mere 40,800 signatures to the government petition. And if you put that into perspective, there is over 1.4 million landlords in the UK. Is it any wonder then that the Chancellor thinks that landlord shooting is open season? So what can we do about it, if anything? Well, first of all, let's sign that petition, <laughs> if you haven't already done so, and ask your other landlord investor friends to do the same. Remember, the mortgage interest changes are effectively a retrospective, ta retrospective rather, tax hike, so they are particularly nasty. But if we can get it to 100,000 signatures, at least we'll get it debated in Parliament and make a little bit of noise. Second, 
we can reevaluate our investment strategy and minimum levels of return. Now developers often have a fixed profit margin and then try to flex all of the other elements of the project costs, including the purchase price, to ensure that their profitability ultimately remains the same. Now we should adopt a similar strategy and reflect this in our offer prices, so we should know what our minimum profit is and then reflect that in the cost of works and the purchase prices that we're looking to take on. And maybe we don't take on as many projects. Third, we should consider higher yield properties and lower cost locations and potentially lift rents to gradually compensate for the cost increase where this is permissible. So it's all about really reducing the impact or transferring it at least to other, to other people. Fourth, we can look at the incentives being made available to de developers and large investors and establish if it's worth joining a bigger club or an alternative structure instead. For example, it could be a REIT or a property syndicate. Finally, we can seek to build up our cash reserves, both as a hedge against a price dip and also a potential war chest to capitalise on opportunities that may arise in the coming months and years. The conclusion, therefore, is to adapt, innovate and be flexible in our approach. And that is the professional approach to, to adapt to the terrain. And as for our listener, Paul, what should he do next? Well, he could sell part of his portfolio to both reduce his debt levels and build his cash reserves. He could also adapt and look, to, look at higher yielding or uh, a larger number of lower value properties. But should he panic? Probably not. But should he be prepared? Probably yes. I wish I had better news to share this week, but I don't. However, all is not lost. We will always face challenges as professional property investors, and it is up to us to plan, prepare, and adapt to the ever-changing landscape. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's all part of the natural market cycles. It may seem unnatural <laughs> state intervention, but it's all there. It's all part of it. And all of this can have a, a bearing on our personal property portfolio cycle as well. Just as the seasons change, so too do the seasons in property change and we need to adapt our approach accordingly to remain sustainable during some of the harsher winter periods that we might be facing in the next couple of years. Right, enough of this for one week. What can we share with you in the shout out then? And now, where you can go for more great resources with the shout out. This week's shout out is for an app called Scanner Pro and it's a scanner app or scanning application for your iPhone or your iPad. Sorry, it doesn't seem to be available on Android. It turns the camera though of an iPhone into a scanner and automatically smooths off those rough edges of a photo image for you so you get a nice clean PDF. It also allows you to compile multiple pages into a single PDF document and you can upload it into cloud storage software such as Dropbox or uh, Google Drive for example. Now, if you combine this with the uh, technology, electronic signature technology from applications like EchoSign, then you've got quite a powerful combination, really, that is, is one step further towards a paperless office. So, providing you can get the recipient to accept your set, uh, electronic signatures, that's quite a step forward, I would say. So, I guess you've got two apps in one here. You've got the Scanner Pro. And if that doesn't do it for you, you've got Echo Sign in instead. So all you Android users, at least you've got one application that you could try. But there you go. That's uh, another week from the Property Voice podcast over and done with. The end of the year is looming fast, but we march onward regardless. Keep calm and carry on regardless. 
by all means drop me an email personally to podcast at thepropertyvoice.net if today's theme has stirred you up in any way. Meanwhile, the show notes will be over at thepropertyvoice.net. And thank you very much for listening this week and every time on the Property Voice podcast. But right now, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.